This is the No Stroke Podcast with your co-hosts, David Dancero and Michael Garrow, helping you to support and thrive in life after stroke. Their podcast is designed for educational and community support purposes only and should not replace medical treatment and guidance of your own health professional team. Welcome, everybody. My name is Dave Dancero. I'm the co-host of the No Stroke Podcast. And this last episode in May, I am flying without my co-host, Michael Garrow, who is actually en route flying back from Ireland. So um, I'm going to go through a solo wrap-up here because it's made it impossible to try to get us both uh, in uh, (laughs) the right time frame to be able to actually record that made sense. So I want to go over what moved you in May. We had a very busy month. We're going to quickly recap here. you know, what what moved me in May um, in, in the launch of the No Stroke podcast certainly moved me in May, but we had some great guests on. I'm going to briefly review here if you hadn't been part of our launch. Um, and I'm going to talk about why there's still unfinished business to do in this area of stroke advocacy and awareness. So, um, you know, personally, I'm always renewed in May, and, and it's not necessarily because the days are longer and the sun is a bit brighter and warmer as we emerge back and, you know, certainly cautiously get back from our isolation, but that certainly helps too. I'm renewed personally each May as it happens to be Stroke Awareness Month, and because personally it represents closure and rebirth of following my own stroke. Um I wanted to kind of get a little bit more personal here and just say this past May 1st, I celebrated 14 years since my stroke and the day I woke at Mass General Hospital following surgery to correct a congenital heart defect that caused my stroke. And along with this challenge for my entire family, it was also the healthcare delays and uncertain care pathway options that led me down the path of patient advocacy and engagement to improve health outcomes for others in their own medical journeys. In fact, this is how this No Stroke podcast began um, or continued from my original work on my No Stroke blog. Um, I still use that tool today, um, and you know it, it does show that I'm still I'm still out there advocating because there is more work to be done. And now I continue this cause strengthened by my new partners, uh, including Michael Garrow. Um, And they've all stepped up to continue and enable and inspire this mission further. So along with Mike, um, you know, earlier this month, we did get this podcast off to a rapid start uh, recording four sessions. And if you missed any of them, I'm going to go over them briefly here. Uh, and and it, this, this whole initiative expanded upon the success and outreach we had with our Next Step Forward program we launched back in May 2000 during the height of the pandemic. So if you missed um, that episode, uh, we talk about that in our first um podcast episode here about our individual whys and our journey. And I'm going to use a little more time towards the end to talk a little bit more about my why. Um, But I think let's go first over uh, the separate recordings that we did. I'm going to run through them quickly 
And first, I'm going to make a call to action that we're now on all the podcast directories. So we really want to get off to a rapid start. And some of that includes likes and shares and maybe even a review if you happen to be using um, um, Apple for your podcasting. Um, they do tend to draw a lot of our traffic and we want to continue to foster that. Um, but I wanted to just go over again, the, the, the reason we started this, the goal of our podcast is, is to get you caught up on the latest stroke science, worldwide community support collaborations, and we want to continue to interview top researchers, which we started off this month, and rehab technology companies, and more, most importantly, um, healthcare experts and stroke survivors, or thrivers as we prefer to call them. Um, we started off with our, a couple of really good guests this month. Um, and again, episode one, Mike and I recap 2020 and why it presented such a challenge to our community. Um, we touched upon our personal stories that related to stroke, and we explained our why for launching this podcast. So I, I invite you to tune into that episode if you missed it. In episode two, um, Mike and I were joined by our first guest and stroke survivor, Carolyn Goggin. Um, Carolyn is a former uh, Channel 12 uh, reporter here in my home state uh, in, in Rhode Island. She was a, a a evening news reporter for um, Channel 12 in Providence, and she later moved up to, which she presently does, she's the Channel 7 News Boston uh, reporter. And um, we we really dove into the the special needs around stroke survivorship, what's missing from that stroke uh, equation right now. And I'm so glad I, I reached out to Caroline um, and we we connected during the early uh, months of her stroke. So I, I, it's really a great listen, and I hope you do dive in and spend some time meeting Caroline on that episode. In episode three, we interviewed Lauren Saunders. She's the clinical manager at Neurolutions, and Neurolutions is a neurorehab company which recently um, got FDA breakthrough FDA de novo uh, approval for a new device for um, stroke recovery using your brain's activity, something called BCI, so um, brain-computer interface. So um, these technologies are emerging, and I think part partly will become part of the new care pathways for stroke recovery. So I do encourage you to listen to that second episode as well. In episode... That was episode three, excuse me. In episode four, we went on location, our first uh, on-location um, podcast. Hope to do many more of those. But we met up with Peter Kaplan, head of marketing at TheraCycle, right here in Franklin, Massachusetts. Um, and unlike traditional exercise equipment, you know, including like stationary bikes, we talked about the comparison between his technology and a bike like the New Step. Um, these bikes are powered entirely by um, by the TheraCycle itself's motor, and it works with the user's body to help them exercise for longer periods and maintain speeds that might um, be a little bit faster and you know, that are showing to be able to 
improve outcomes and drive that whole neuroplastic component um, and reduce some neurological symptoms to help improve outcomes. So dive into that episode in episode four. Um, but again, um, we want to let you know that, you know, the success of our podcast relies on your feedback. So please share our podcast, write us a review, rate each episode. Um, we do have links to your favorite podcast player, podcast players under each episode. So help us spread the word, please. And we thank you for doing your part there. We also want to let you know that if you want to be a guest on our show, we invite all stroke thrivers to join our join in together so we can share success and help you manage your own condition by sharing stories from others um, to maximize your true potential and care. So if you want to join us as a stroke survivor guest, um, I invite you to go to our Enable Us website. That's enable4us.com. And you'll see some stroke survivor stories that we did during the pandemic. You'll see the link to the podcast there. Um, But in future episodes, we really want to include the patient perspective and the care provider perspective. So I'm going to give you a little bit more around my patient perspective and let you know that they're one of the reasons why I feel there's still work to be done as I continue to get folks that reach out to me almost weekly on my no stroke blog. Um, there's a lot of stories now having had my stroke blog up there for, uh, coming up on 14 years. Um, there's a lot of folks that still have a lot of, um, questions around, um, exercise around, you know, my, my blog tends to attract, um, folks that are looking for answers around PFO or patient foramen ovale, which is a congenital heart defect that caused my stroke. But I think I'm going to take a few minutes, um, just to, um, story that we didn't get to talking about our why in the first episode. Um, one particular story that, that, that popped up in front of um, my feed was um, the story of a 12-year-old um, girl in Manchester um, by the name of Sarah Edgen. And I don't know her, um, but her story resonated with me. Um, she was found to have hemiplegic migraines um, and later... Uh, those were debilitating, went on for a long time, and she was found to have a PFO. And it turns out her mom also has a PFO. And what troubled me about this story is she cannot, even today, after all the advocacy we'd, we, we've gone through with our former PFO Research Foundation, the story goes on to say how she can't have closure until she has her first TIA or stroke. And just think of how ridiculous that is, actually. But the NHS there refuses to pay for her PFO closure. And I don't know this girl, but it reminds me closely to other stories of young stroke survivors that I've worked with over the years, um, including some of the stroke survivors we've interviewed on... um, our Enable Us website. So I, I want to I just read through something that um, I thought my, my path after closure was done. And I thought, honestly, that um, I could let this kind of close the chapter on this. And I never intended to write a book about my stroke story or journey. 
but it turns out that I'm 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 probably going to be giving you more information in June about why my my thought along that process has changed. But I think I wanted to just read to you back in 2016. Um, I did along with a group of other great patient advocates from the former PFO Research Foundation, we presented to the FDA on patient perspective and testimony around this topic of giving patients more option when it came to PFO closure. So I'm going to take a few minutes here, um, just read this. I had three minutes to convey my story, and I'm going to do that now. So I'm going to read it verbatim beginning now. So good afternoon. My name is David Dancero. I am the founder of NoStroke.org, a community for patients with stroke and PFO. My travel expenses, I mentioned, are being reimbursed by the PFO Research Foundation, which I was a founding board member. I am a husband, a proud father of three children, and a two-time stroke survivor. Almost 13 years ago, this we presented in 2016, so now it's um, more years have passed. At the age of 39, when all my children were under seven, I had a stroke with it, without any known risk factors. As a physical therapist, I relied on established treatments and experience to work on my physical deficits and restore function. While I do not want to minimize the negative impacts of stroke has on the body, I do want to emphasize to this panel today, by far the largest obstacle my family and I had to overcome were those related to stroke prevention and options for patients with PFO, the same options that were being debated here today. I rapidly learned that there was no consensus in the PFO field for patients seeking answers and care. And depending on which specialist you spoke to, a cardiologist or a neurologist, the diagnosis and treatment pathways would diverge and lead you to vastly different options. My eventual path to device closure was drawn out over nine months. During that time, I met with two cardiologists, one of those physicians urged me to close my heart defect right away and told me he had done around 20 procedures like this before, and he wanted to schedule the procedure by the end of the week, but I was not comfortable with this. The other suggested we conduct more tests and have me meet with more specialists in his group to review my case further. Of note, I also met with three neurologists on two separate practices during this time period, one who are in closure, or urged closure, the other medical management, and one who simply did not provide much direction other than agreeing I was in this gray area. Ultimately, I followed neurologist number one orders to use Coumadin for blood thinning along with a beta blocker to offer an off-label alternative to manage my brain fog migraines, and fatigue that relentlessly remained after my stroke. I recall being at my desk in a stupor trying to work shortly after beginning this off-label combination of medicines. I was trying to complete a simple article I was writing for a PT journal. A quick one-time task that I normally could do now took over three hours and I could not focus clearly. Aside from the fatigue and fogginess, I was anchored to regular blood thinners and draws to try to get my INR, INR right. I was concerned about my, managing my diet and worried about bleeding. Before my stroke, I was an avid athlete. 
One of my long-term goals was to get back to playing ice hockey. I knew contact sports, Coumadin, and ice skates didn't mix and play well together. My quality of life and that of my family was only being made worse by medical therapy, and I knew I needed another alternative for stroke prevention. So I went to MGH for a consult on PFO closure. My doctor told me he had done more than 700 PFO closures and was enrolling patients to be followed in their patient registry, um, a registry called CAMP, the acronym was used there, for which I participated to have my outcomes documented and help advance PFO science. I did not know the difference in off-label closure versus closure with an investigational device or a registry versus a randomized controlled trial. I do know pursuing PFO closure was a decision my family and I did not take lightly. My first choice to try blood thinners at the advice of my doctor left me with a horrible quality of life. I believe having closure at MGH with a skilled physician has allowed me a vastly improved quality of life. I have reached my goal of returning to skating and I play ice hockey to this day. I also completed a second long-term goal of running the Boston Marathon. I am certain I would would have not been able to safely participate in a contact sport while on blood thinners, and I feel my preferences and value around quality of life were not taken into account at all in the treatment decisions being made initially. In addition, it is important to note that something significant after my device closure happened. My head cleared, no headache, no brain fog, I really wish the FDA and the company doing the RESPECT trial would have included important quality of life outcome measures like migraine, bleeding risk, the burden of managing INR, the fatigue and uncertainty, and in a trial so that the true story of what is like to live with devices versus medical therapy could have been told. I've been following the field of PFO, and I continue to do that to this day, for many years, and I've been communicating with thousands upon thousands of PFO and cryptogenic stroke patients like myself. I've heard the evidence that was presented today, and I'm satisfied that the device is safe and effective. As I mentioned earlier, the lack of information available to patients to support treatment decisions making this very frustrating, and after more than a decade of waiting for answers from respect in other trials, I can't tell you we won't have another shot at this, I believe. I urge the panel to consider what's most important to patients and recommend the FDA approval of the Implacer PFO occluder for the prevention of recurrent cryptogenic stroke. I also recommend that the post-market study would collect outcomes that are most important to patients. If you still don't know what they are, we'd be more than happy to tell you. So I'd like to thank you, the panel, and the attendees for listening today to the patient side of the story. Good afternoon. So that's the end of my testimony. And again, although that was now five years ago, when I hear stories like Cerise that I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, and many others who um, who I hope to cha- share their perspective in this upcoming book. I'm going to make this book a little bit different. Um, I want to bring some of the PFO community into chapters in this book, and I want to 
enable more stroke survivors to share their stories. So I think that's where I'm going to wrap up in this particular episode of the No Stroke Podcast. Again, this will be the last episode in May, but we have a lot more work to do. Um, Mike should be back and we'll be going into more stroke survivor stories, maybe doing a couple more live podcasts in June. The weather should be good. And we're, as you saw in episode four, um, you know, now that we're all immunized, we can cautiously get back out to um, engaging with our community in person. So we look forward to doing more of that. Um, I'll be telling you a little bit more about how I could use your input on my stroke journey and my upcoming book. Um, But I want to end there with just one more call to action to please um, like our show, share, and write us a review. That's the way we're going to grow our audience. And if you missed our Next Step Forward program, that's doing live. It's still live and doing really well on our website and helping folks to help with behavior change and give them a path of being able to take the first step so that they can take their next step forward. So thank you once again uh, to our community for supporting our show. And we will look forward to hearing from you in our upcoming next episode. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the No Stroke Podcast. Be sure to tune in each week for more knowledge on stroke, recovery, and the brain with tips, technology, and interesting stroke thriver interviews where they share their success to enable you on your own healing journey. Make sure to hit the follow button on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our show. Mike and I will love to ask you to rate and review our show to enable us to grow our audience. Please check the show notes to follow us on social so you can connect and reach out to find more about advertising with us or becoming a guest on our show. Until next time, stay well, keep the faith, and keep moving forward.